The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Very glad to be here with you. As you saw with the scripture reading, feel free to go ahead and go to Ephesians chapter 6 uh, in your Bible or in your smartphone, whatever you want to use uh, for that. As you're going, I thought I'd tell you a little bit of story about my, um, a part of my upbringing. So I grew up, I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up in a, in a home where I heard the gospel communicated very consistently, uh, very faithfully. Uh, I remember my faith became my own when I was, I believe I was in the sixth grade. Before then for me, it was, you know, I was doing the Christian thing because that's what I was supposed to do. That's what my parents wanted me to do, expected me to do. So that's what I did. But I'll say for me in the sixth grade was when it became my own. And I, I was very, very shy and insecure uh, at that point in my life for a variety of reasons. Uh, many people who know me, and some, some of you do know me, might find this as a surprise. I mean, to the, to the point where uh, during high school superlatives, I came in second place for most quiet in my graduating class. And not that I didn't like people. I was just so insecure, so nervous, so shy, all of that. Uh, and I remember I played football starting my freshman year of high school. So I've been a Christian for a few years at this point, and you know, I don't know how, how the locker room was for, for you guys, those who played sports, but I just remember feeling very alone at first and the fact that I was seeking to follow God, and it seemed like every conversation that was being had in that locker room was the exact opposite of that, from the way they talked about women to the way they talked in general to what they were planning on doing on the weekends. And I remember feeling nervous and, and shaken because I knew what, I, what convictions I had from the Word of God that had been instilled in me through the preaching of God's Word, but I also wanted to fit in. I also wanted to, to be liked. I also wanted to feel like I had a place there with different guys on the team. Uh, and there was one brother there who I am so thankful for. Uh, his name was Terencio. His name is Terencio. Uh, and he was a Christian also. He was in the 10th grade when I came in as a freshman. And I remember noticing pretty early that Terencio was probably the, the boldest high school student I knew of about his faith which is open and honest. I'm not doing that. I don't talk like that. I ain't talking about women like that. I'm not, I'm not doing any of that. And he owned it with, with, with such a boldness. And the reason I bring that up is to say, I don't know what type of things I would have gotten into that I knew I shouldn't have if not for him. His, his parents, his church family in general, had brought him up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord in a way that greatly benefited me. I shared the gospel of Jesus more boldly. I shared Christ and his love more boldly in that locker room because he was there. Because his parents, his, his church family was very intentional about training him up, letting him know who he was in the Lord. He had been trained to respect and submit to God's authority. I was able to, because I was so emboldened by being there with him, I was able to, to share Christ in, in, in places, in conversations, in the locker room where other Christians had no access to, where other leaders in the church would not have had access to. And that is my prayer for us as parents in the room as we work through this passage today, that we would see and take full advantage of and embrace the opportunities and the responsibilities that we have to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's begin reading verse 1 in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read through verse 3. It reads, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So the design here is that, is that parents would exercise and practice their God-given authority in their homes over their children, that their children would be blessed by their obedience. 
The Apostle Paul, as he quotes the Old Testament commandment of honor your father and mother and says that this is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. He's pointed out that, that when God made this specific promise to, to his people before they got into the promised land, that this is the one promise where he says, hey, this is going to make things better for you if you do that. Specifically, he was talking about as they lived in the promised land that God was about to give to them. And I believe he brings this up to make the point for us is that this is generally speaking how this works. When children obey their parents, when parents exercise their authority in their homes, children are blessed by it. I remember when I was uh, growing up uh, in the driveway, we used to play basketball in the driveway all the time, and the concrete was laid in three different sections from, from our home all the way up to the street. And one of those uh, lines, I remember when we were younger, my dad used to always say, you can't cross that line. I don't care if the basketball goes past it. I don't care. You can't cross that line. You cross that line, you're going to be in trouble. And I thought it was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. Like, this line was probably 15 feet from the street. He was like, you cross that line, you're going to be in trouble. You better call me or your mom to come get it. If not, you're just not going to be playing basketball. I remember being frustrated. I remember when I probably became about 18, 19, looking back over that and thinking, I am so glad my dad did that. I'm so glad he was willing to say, I'm going to do what's best for you. I don't care what you think about it. I don't care how you feel about it. Another thing, when I was in school, this was probably mostly elementary school and middle school, we had this rule in our home where, all right, you get home from school, you can play for 30 minutes, then you got to get on your homework. That's just the way it was uh, in my home. I hated the rule. I was like, I can only play for 30 minutes. I need at least an hour just to, to get settled in. I look back on that, and my parents knew how much I procrastinated. They knew how consistently I would just continue to put it off and put it off and put it off. And so they made that rule. They didn't care how I felt about it. And that was a blessing to me. God expects parents to exercise their authority, the authority that he has given us to be a blessing to our children, a way that adds good blessing to our lives. Looking at many of us uh, in the room, I don't think I see any uh, young children here in the room one of the things I think that's important for us to address, also that we find in this same passage, is how the Apostle Paul writes, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now, I don't believe as adult children with, with living parents that we have to obey our parents. I do believe we are to honor our parents still. I do believe we are to honor them. If you're familiar with Jesus' ministry, we don't have time to turn there, but there was a time when he's preaching, and his mom and his brothers come, and the Bible says they were seeking them, and they sent a messenger to him, and, said, and they said, Jesus, your, your mother, your brother, they're here. They're seeking you. And he said, who is my mother and my brother? My mother and my brother are those who are here with me. Jesus was not, he did not have to submit to the authority of his mother as he was an adult, but now he still honored his mother. If you remember what happened on the cross, He's dying. At that time, your retirement plan were your sons at that point. That is how you made sure you were taken care of. Your sons were able to work. They were to make a lot of money. And so as Jesus is dying on the cross, he sees his mother. He looks to one of his closest disciples, John, and says, your mother. He says, this is your mother. Now treat her like she is your very own as he was taking his last breaths. He still honored his mother. He still cared for his mother, but he no longer had to obey his mother. I want to talk to us about, just briefly, we want to spend most of our time in verse 4 today. I want to talk to us about, just briefly, how we might think about honoring our parents as adults. I think there are some of us in the room that might find this to be especially difficult, especially if you've experienced a lot of wounds at the hands of your parents. 
especially if you experience a lot of hurt, especially if when you think about your relationship with your parents, one of the first things that you feel is not joy and appreciation, but hurt and pain instead. The first thing I want to point out to us is that this call to honor your father and mother does not come with any disclaimers. It doesn't come, it doesn't come with instruction that says, it, unless they hurt you or wounded you in some way. No, it is to all that we are to honor them. How might we do this, especially, with, especially when it's difficult? How might we do this? One of the things that I find to be very beneficial, anytime there's a, a relationship where there is genuine love, but there's also pain and frustration and hurt and scars and wounds in that relationship, is just being intentional about words of affirmation. It doesn't mean you have to have a very long conversation Right? It doesn't mean you have to spend a ton of time together depending on what the situation is, but you can still be encouraging to someone that you are desiring to honor, even if there's difficulty and pain and hurt in that relationship. Maybe you can write them a letter that just expresses appreciation. I remember one time, and my dad and I actually have a great relationship, but I remember one time just writing a poem as I, as I was you know, becoming, becoming an adult and beginning to think back and realize just how much they sacrificed for me. And my parents weren't perfect. No parents are. And the thing that I noticed was, as I wrote that poem, not only was I honoring him, it did something to me. It allowed me to be more grateful. I was recounting the things that maybe I had overlooked before, and it allowed me to be even more grateful towards them than I had been in the past. If you struggle to honor your parents, if you struggle to honor your father and mother, maybe because of difficulties, challenges, pains, and wounds in your relationship, I, I'd encourage you to be intentional about thinking about what are things that they did do for me that were good? What are things that they did for me? What are things that they sacrificed? Because for most of us in the room, even though our parents were not perfect, they sacrificed a lot for us. And those are things that we can express appreciation for. And I'm not saying you have to do this without boundaries. You can still set boundaries with your parents, right? Maybe you're thinking, okay, a long conversation wouldn't be great for me. I got a tip for you. Here's something that I, I don't do this with my parents. I do this with other people. If I've done this with you, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, sometimes I call people when I'm five to 10 minutes from my destination. Not because it was only a five to 10 minute drive, but it's because I'm only talking to you for about five to 10 minutes a day. That's the extent of our conversation. This is the boundary that I'm setting up. So you can call and say, hey, I only got five to ten minutes. Just want to call you real quick, check in to see how you're doing, let you know that I really do appreciate. I was just thinking about this thing that you did for me when I was, when I was younger. I just want to let you know that I appreciate it. I don't have a lot of time, but I did want to communicate that to you. And I believe it can go a long way. I think it could go a long way for them and for you in growing our hearts to have a posture of honor towards our parents, giving small gifts that acknowledge what they have, that all the gifts that they have given to you, different things that you can do to honor your parents. You don't have to obey them if you're an adult, but you should continue to honor them. Let's continue on verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. It says, but bring them up. We'll come back to the provoking children to anger in a little bit. But bring them up. We're going to pause there. That, that, the Greek word there for bring up means to nourish. It means to provide what is necessary for growth and health and good condition. It's the same verb used in the previous chapter when Paul says that no one hates their own flesh, but instead nourishes it. The apostle is saying that parents should do what we can to provide what is necessary for spiritual growth and health for our children. Let's continue on. In the discipline and instruction. The Greek word there for discipline means education or training. 
By implication, it means disciplinary correction or chastisement or instruction or nurture. One insert in a Bible dictionary I saw said that this term refers to the, refers to the whole training and education of children. It's kind of a catch-all term that talks about everything that is necessary to train up a child. He's saying parents do this. The aim is that God would use our parenting to help our children to love him. And I'll get to this more in a minute, but one of the necessary yet very difficult components of following Jesus is obeying him when we don't feel like obeying him. And this is very beneficial and very helpful for us as parents to begin to to have that culture be present in our homes as we are raising our children. That we expect them to obey us when they don't feel like obeying us because if they're going to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that is an everyday moment-by-moment part of their lives. One of the things that comes to my mind when I think about what, what is discipline as we see the need for us to discipline our children. I often describe discipline as being willing to cause a hundred tears now to prevent a thousand tears later. Being willing to cause 100 tears now to prevent a thousand tears later. We're to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That, that term for instruction means to call to attention. It, means, it can mean a mild rebuke, a warning, or an admonition. That to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord is to use the God-given authority that he has given us to say some things to our children that might be difficult for them to hear. Maybe that's don't go this close to the street. Maybe you can't have this. Or as I saw in the video, you can't have candy every night for dinner. Whatever it is, letting our children know this is okay for them, this is not okay for them. Give warnings and, and education to them as we train them. And here's a key part of this verse. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are to give our lives, training them to know God and to follow him, to seek him and worship him, to love him with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength. And to help us to just think through the, the importance and the weightiness of bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I just want to, for most of, it, most of us, this would just be a simple reminder for us. But just to help us wrestle with this real quickly, I just want to remind us our world Everybody that you know has one hope, has one answer, one solution, one savior, one salvation to all the problems and all the hurt and all the suffering and all the injustice in this world. And that one hope is Jesus Christ. He is the only hope for salvation, the only hope for a world that is broken, for a world that has fallen because of sin. And he has called out his people. He has called out his church to be about the business of building and edifying his kingdom as he fights and wages war against the kingdom of darkness. This is what he invites us into. This is what it means to be a Jesus-centered family on a mission. That must dictate the way that we parent. That must dictate the way that we parent. This this truth about who God is and what he's doing, it's not just something that we, we sing about and we talk about and we understand intellectually. No, this moves into every area of our lives, which I know y'all been talking about in this series. But today, let's focus specifically on, as parents, as we seek to bring our children up, In the discipline and instruction of the Lord, the gospel, it is at the center of how we parent. This is our story. And if you're a parent, God is calling you to prioritize bringing your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I'm harboring on this point. I'm repeating myself over and over again because I think oftentimes we as parents live as if verse 4 says, bring them up and discipline and instruct them to have good morals. Bring them up and discipline and instruct them to make sure that they behave really well. 
Nothing wrong with good behavior. Obviously, I'm sure every parent in here appreciates some good behavior. I'm one of them. We appreciate some good behavior. It's one thing for me to let my eight-year-olds know that it's wrong to hit someone if someone makes them mad. It's another thing to show them Jesus on the cross dying and praying for his enemies and also show them that he calls us to follow his lead in loving our enemies. We don't just preach moralism. We train our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We point our children to Jesus. We read this verse as if it says, bring them up and bring them up and discipline and instruct them to do well in school, to be successful in sports, or be successful on their careers. But there are many things oftentimes that we prioritize for our children more than we prioritize them knowing God, them walking with God, them enjoying God, them following him. As the people of God, we bring them up and discipline and instruct them to follow him. As a parent, I know how easy it is. A lot of times, I'm just bringing them up. I just don't want you to embarrass me in the store. I just want you to behave yourself when we're around people. Listen, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Listen, we gotta, I'm just trying to have a family that, that is functional. Come on now, just, just do right for a little bit, for a little while. But God calls us to so much more, something so, so richer, something, something so much more true than just having good behavior, than just not embarrassing us when we're around others. I find that in general, as parents, we're often instructing and disciplining our children towards something. Hear me on this. Every parent in this room, there is something that you are aiming for, something you desire for your children. You are training your children towards something. We must ask ourselves, is this priority for us? Is it a priority for us to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? So here's what I want to do to help us in that. I want to give you four specific things that you can do as a parent, action points that I believe will help us bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first one is normalize family practices. Sorry, normalize family spiritual practices, I should say. Normalize family spiritual practices. At my house, here's what this currently looks like. Uh, every morning, I, f- I find for myself, I am more consistent with spiritual practices when I attach them to something that I do consistently. For me, that's really the only thing that works, if I'm going to be honest. I got to attach it to something that I do consistently. So with my daughter at night, she's three years old, I pray with her. I got a list of things that I pray for, and she listens to me pray for this list of things, and this is pretty much every single night. I find for myself, I, I don't, I'm not consistent in prayer. I'm not consistent in this if I don't, if I don't attach it to something that I consistently do. So I attach these family practices to my time with my children. My boys, they're a little bit older. They're eight years old now. I have twin boys. They're, they're eight years old. In the morning, we're eating breakfast. And we have it written on our, uh, we got a little whiteboard in our kitchen. I don't know how many of y'all had to turn your, your kitchens into schools uh, a year or so ago, but we had to do that. And so we put a whiteboard in there. And so I just put a different a, a verse. It's usually three or four verses uh, on there. We read it together. They tell me, you know, what they understand. I give them one thing that I want them to try to understand from it. Five minutes or so, and we're done. Consistently seeking to spend time in the Word with them. I remember my wife leading our children in prayer, um, not only each morning on the way to school, but also at the dinner table. And she was doing this when they were like two or three years old. I'm like, oh, is, this, is this making a difference? I don't know. Is this, I don't even know if they're, if they're understanding. Eventually, they started joining in with us and praying to God, the cutest prayers ever. And then we had our daughter... And when my daughter, 
I don't think she was three years old. She started saying, I want to pray. I want to talk to God. She saw her older brothers doing it. She saw me and her mom doing it. And the thing that my wife started when they were like two years old, when I'm questioning, I don't even know if this is worth doing it, set us on a trajectory to be able to more consistently disciple now my three-year-old, and I have a one-and-a-half-old as well that's coming up, to more effectively disciple them because she started early. Because she got our family in the practice and the rhythm of this. Because she led us in a beautiful way. Also, there's prayer, there's spending time in the Word. Also, I believe prioritizing worship services is extremely important for all the parents who are here in the room letting our children know gathering with the people of God is what we do. This is what we do. This helps us to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Also, one of the things that helped us out, and this is something we started a lot earlier too, probably when our children were uh, probably about two or three years old also with this one. Uh, one of the things I, I said, I pray with my daughter. What we used to do is we used to do worship songs every night um, before bed. And so it was usually one of the worship songs that I liked, and we would let them listen to it. And then after a while, they was like, Dad, I don't like your worship songs. I don't like your worship songs. And I was like, well, you're wrong. You should like my worship songs because they're good worship songs. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing these at night. And they were like, well, we, so that, that was just, it was just going back and forth. They didn't want to do it. So I was like, what songs do you want to do? So then, you know, they're on VeggieTales or something like that or whatever, whatever they want to do. And we started searching for songs on YouTube. And my children started saying, oh, I want to do this song. I want to do this song. So now I'm getting to have conversations with them about what the song is actually talking about. One of my biggest tips for parents, if you have young children, you're trying to normalize spiritual disciplines with your family, let them pick what they do, especially when they're younger. Let them pick it. If they enjoy it, they're going to be more likely to stick with it. The same thing is for me and you, right? My, me and my wife study the Bible differently. She likes a devotional. I don't like a devotional. I like to open it. I like to ask my own questions. I don't like people giving me questions to ask. I got my own questions I don't want to figure out. So it's difficult for us to study together. So I don't do it the way she does. She doesn't do it the way I do. And we're not trying to, to switch over because we know this helps us be more consistent. Same thing with your three-year-old. Same thing with your child. What, what do they enjoy? Man, we was doing Jesus study book Bible. I kid you not. We did the David and Goliath story, I think, every night for four or five months. Literally, I had a three-year-old who memorized it. I am not even exaggerating. He memorized the whole David and Goliath story in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And we kept doing it. And, and he, he loved it. We talked about it. We, got, we like to talk about how it pointed to Jesus and all that. He called it the Goliath story. He didn't even have a name right. It's a Goliath. Like, you can't even find a hero in the story? It's like the Goliath story. Highly recommend letting your children pick how they do the practice, what songs you do, what stories you do. You want to establish a, a rhythm, a consistent practice for your children. Second thing I would say, clearly communicate expectations. Clearly communicate expectations. As you're teaching them what Jesus has to say about how they should live, you need to make sure that they know specifically how you expect them to do that. For example, in this passage in Ephesians, it says children are supposed to obey their parents. So for our children, we let them know. We expect you to do what we say the first time. That's what we expect you to do. Now, in the Frederick household, um, that sounds great. It doesn't often go that way. And so we'll get to kind of how we respond to that in the next way, but in the next point. But the main point I'm trying to make here is that there needs to be a very clear communication. One of the things that I do to test myself if I've communicated my expectations well is if they do something wrong, I try to ask questions. And if, they, if I can't get them to the right answer just by asking them questions, they don't understand it quite yet. Does that make sense? Ask them, what did you do? Was that wrong? Why was it wrong? 
And if they can answer those questions, okay, the expectation has been communicated. They understand what is being expected of them. But if they're, if they're unsure, it's like, okay, I need to do a little bit more instructing. I need to do a little bit more teaching. It's important to communicate, for me at least in our, in our home, communicate these expectations very clearly because my children like to use questions sometimes to avoid doing what they're supposed to do. I'm sure that's only me. I'm sure I'm the only one. They like to delay doing what they're supposed to do. And after I ask them to do something, so what, what I tell them is, all right, here's my expectation of you because I know what you like to do. I know you like to find any amount of gray area. So here's my expectation of you. I'm going to tell you to do something. If you have a question, you can ask me. I'm going to tell you, do it first, and then I'll answer your question. That's the expectation that, that we set to help them learn to do what we asked them to do the first time. You can ask the question. I'm going to tell you, all right, go do it. After you're done, I'll answer your question. And the question never comes back up after they're done anyway, at least in our home. Another expectation that I have for my older two children uh, is that they would pursue reconciliation with each other. They're twins. They're, they're best friends. One of the things as a pastor that I've noticed is that Christians struggle to pursue reconciliation with one another. It's not easy. It's very difficult. I'm trying to think, okay, how can I train my children up to pursue reconciliation with one another? So our children are a little bit older now. They're eight years old. So I tell them, okay, if they come to me crying because somebody, one of their siblings did something to them, I ask them, have you told them how it made you feel? Have you told them what, what you want them to do based on what they did? If they say no, come back. Go talk to them. I've sent many a kid crying right back up the steps. And it's been, very, it's been very beneficial. They're learning slowly how to do that. Now, when they were three, I wasn't doing that. When they were three, it was like, look your brother in the face and say, I'm sorry. Look at their eyes. That's what we always say. Look at his eyes, tell him you're sorry. Look at his eyes, tell him you're sorry. And if they do it in a way that's, that's, that's joking or laughing, not taking it seriously, no, calm down. Do it in the right, do it in a calm voice, in a quieter voice, and tell him you're sorry. I'm trying to, to, to bring our children up. I, I, I know that hopefully they'll continue to follow Jesus and walk with him. And I want them to know how to pursue reconciliation. It's such a biblical principle. Now, that, that when they were three and I was telling them, they didn't understand that God had reconciled us to himself and thus we we're able to be one and have family and be family with one another in Christ. No, they didn't understand that, but we were laying the foundation for what we're going to continue to teach them by starting with practices that were age appropriate for them, that they could handle that they could wrestle with and understand and deal with. Third take-home point, consistently give corrective consequences. I like a little alliteration here and there. Consistently give corrective consequences. I said a little bit earlier that my expectation is that my children would obey the first time. You and I both know that very frequently that does not happen. Uh, So as will be the case in the in their life for them outside of my home. I make sure they have consequences that they don't like when they break the rules. All right, this is the world that we live in. We break rules. There are consequences that we have or that we will have to endure if we break the rules. I personally find this to be most helpful and effective when I try to treat my children like I'm their supervisor. Track with me on this. So one of the things I want my children to be able to do, obviously, is be able to get a job, hold, hold down a good job and, and all of that. A lot of times as a parent, in the moment, they do something that's wrong, and I, I, you can just, I just feel the anger. Like, in my body, I tense up. But I want to do what was said earlier when it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, right? So I'm angry because of what they've done. I need, to, I, I need to discipline them and correct them, but I don't want to provoke them to anger. So the, the, the picture in my mind, the metaphor in my mind that helps me the most is, okay, um, if my supervisor saw me doing something wrong over and over again, 
What is a respectful way that I would like for them to respond to me? And that's what I try to do. That's my goal. How would I want someone to respond to me in a way that's respectful to me as a human being when I've done the same thing 7,000 times wrong? What is an appropriate way for, me, for, for them to respond to me? And that is my aim with, with my children. I try to be, hey, this is, this is what you did. These are the consequences. This is what it is. And this is what I expect you to do now going forward. This helps me to at least try to correct them in a way that's consistent, that is not provoking them to anger, that is not unnecessarily provocative. Some things that I think provoke anger in children, from my experience, that I believe we would do well to avoid are letting our anger dictate how we punish our children. I didn't say you can't discipline your child while you're angry. I'm saying don't let your anger dictate how you discipline them. Do you understand the difference between those two? It's possible for anger to be present. Put your anger in the passenger side. Put your anger in the passenger seat. You're driving the car. The anger is there. You're, you're with, it's with you. You're upset. You're frustrated. But it doesn't dictate. I've had to apologize to my children before because if I'm honest, sometimes my, my punishment, my, my discipline to them had a little bit of retaliation in it. It was a little bit of you did me wrong. Now I'm going to make you deal with this. And I'm, I'm the one with authority, so you're going to have to deal with this. So now my, my aim is, okay, how would I want a supervisor to talk to me about this if I keep doing the same thing wrong? How can I be clear and how can I be firm, but at the same time still be, still be caring and tender with them? These are the questions that I believe are important for us to be able to ask. At the same time, we don't want to overcorrect. Because if I'm being honest, I know this is talking to fathers and saying, don't provoke your children to anger. If I'm being honest, most of the fathers that I know probably have a tendency to be more passive than overly aggressive. And most of the fathers I know probably have a tendency to allow the, the mother in the, in the home or, or, or someone else in the home to handle a lot of the discipline with the children. So we should not overcorrect. He's, he's not saying don't be firm. He's not saying don't set consequences and boundaries for your children and be very direct with them. He's saying don't provoke them to anger. We don't want to overcorrect. Here's something that's important and why this point, one of the reasons this point is so important to me. One of the most important aspects of the Christian life is one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. If your child knows how to get around your consequences and your corrective consequences and they are not consistent, you're making it actually more difficult for them to go through the difficult process of building and developing and practicing self-control. Self-control is built when you want to do something, but you're saying, okay, I can't do it. I can't, I'm not going to do it. I want to do this, but I'm not going to do so. Setting consistent corrective consequences helps your child to develop self-control. And I'll say it this way. One of the things I I say to my kids, maybe too often, uh, is you are not more stubborn than I am. You're not more stubborn than me. You can continue doing what you're doing. Your consequence is going to continue to get worse. I'm not giving in. Why? Because I don't want them to start to feel like, oh, I can wear them down if I keep doing this. I can wear them down. If I, if I cry enough, I, I can wear them down because they realize this. And I, I'm, I'm, I want to be committed to helping them develop self-control, one of the, one of the fruit of the Spirit. I want, I, want them to be, I want to be committed to helping them practice this on a consistent basis so I have to hold the line. I have to hold the line. I am more stubborn than you. You're being stubborn because you want what you want. I'm being stubborn because I care about you. Because I want you to be, to be in the habit of practicing self-control. Fourth take-home point. 
extremely important. If I only had to pick one that you could do, this might be the biggest one. Model following Jesus. Model following Jesus. This point has so many different implications. We can go so many different places with this. It's tough to even narrow it down. To, it's tough to narrow it down, but to be most helpful, there's one thing I want to try to emphasize to you. As a parent, you're going to mess up, right? As a parent, you're going to mess up. A lot of times when we mess up as parents, we get real heavy into shame and self-condemnation. We are going to mess up. You are going to mess up as a parent. I heard one pastor say one time that the test of maturity for a Christian is not whether or not they sin, it's what they do after they sin. It's how do you respond to your sin. I want to tell you something about your child. If you have a, if you have a child now or if you're, going to have a child, if you're going to have children in the future, let me tell you something about them. What they need most is a parent that can model repentance for them. It would be better for your child to leave your home saying, man, my parents messed up all the time, but they showed me how to repent. They showed me what it was to be broken over their sin, to confess their sin to God, to confess their sin to me when they sinned against me and run to God and cling to him even after they sinned. That is so much better for your child than for them to leave your house and be like, I don't know, and it seemed like my parents messed up too much. It didn't seem like my, my, my parents sinned that much. That's not helpful to them. They're going to sin. They're going to mess up. They're going to feel shame just like you do when you sin and you mess up and you want to model for them what it looks like to run to Jesus, to run to Jesus to, to pursue repentance. They're asking for help, but to run to Jesus and say, God, I feel my, my, my soul is condemning me right now. I feel completely unacceptable as a, as a person, as a parent. I, I, I feel like I'm not forgiven for this thing. I'm wrestling with all this shame and all this condemnation that I am feeling, but I am clinging to you for grace, knowing that you forgive us, that there is that, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. Your children need to see you running to the Lord, embracing his forgiveness over and over again, asking them for forgiveness, asking the Lord for forgiveness. Don't waste your mistakes. Don't waste, if you're going to sin against your child, respond, run to the Lord apologize to them, confess your sin to God, let them see this. This will be so beneficial. Do you know how many, you know how many children, how many people, probably some that are in this room right now that, that, that saw this fake of kind of religious, um, kind of being in error as far as Christian doctrine, where we feel like we have to, to, to portray ourselves as if we always get everything right and we never sin against anyone. That's not helpful. Teach them what it is to follow Jesus. Model what it is to be a sinful person that turns from sin and runs to Christ. And I believe you'll find great benefit for your own soul when you do it. I believe you'll find more peace in yourself as you apologize to your child, as you, as you confess your sin to the Lord. And I believe your children will be better for it. Because ultimately, what you want is not for your children to think that you're the best parent ever. What you want is for your children to know that God the Father is the best parent ever. What you want is for your children to know that there's one perfect parent. He's God the Father. You can run to him anytime you mess up. You can run to him anytime you sin. You can ask him to change you. You ask him for forgiveness, and you continue to go to him. Let's, let's be a church. Let's be, let's be parents that continue to point our children to the one who is perfect, their perfect father in heaven. Family, will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful that you choose to make us your children. 
that you call us your own. Father, thank you for adopting us and making us your own. Father, thank you for the ways that you correct us. Father, I just want to lift up all the parents in the room, especially new parents in the room. I, I remember what it was to be a new parent and how difficult that was. Father, I pray for, for strength, for comfort, for peace of mind. Father, for a little bit of rest for the parents in the room. Father, I pray that you would help us as parents to prioritize what you call us to prioritize. I pray that you would, would help us to seek you, Father, after we mess up, after we blow it as parents, that we would model what it is to respond correctly to our own sin, trusting in your grace, trusting in your power to change us and transform us. Father, make us parents that model what it is to truly be a follower of Jesus. We need your spirit to do this. Holy Spirit, would you fill us? The parents in the room, those of us who will be parents in the future, fill us with your power, your strength, and your might, and your love, and your grace. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.